Today's episode is sponsored by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BrainsOn. Just go to Indeed.com slash BrainsOn right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BrainsOn. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A quick note before we start the show. In this series, we're taking a look at myths from modern-day legends to stories that are thousands of years old. Some of them might seem a bit scary, but we're talking about them because we want to understand the important role they play in our lives and dig into the history and facts behind them. And of course, there's all the usual brains-on fun, too. Okay, on with the show. You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. It all started on a November night. We looked up and we saw something like like a big triangle. Two police officers in Belgium saw something strange in the sky. It had a white light in each corner and a red one in the middle. That thing was following us. And they weren't the only ones. I saw it too. Me too. Me three. A flying triangle. An alien spaceship. No way is that thing from this planet. The government doesn't even know what it is. The Belgium Air Force even sent some planes to investigate. We got a radar lock on this thing. We're moving in. It's gone. There's nothing there. But they couldn't solve the mystery either. More than 13,000 people say that they spotted this triangle in the sky. These sightings were named the Belgian UFO wave. Skeptics say there was nothing to see at all, that it was just a mass delusion. But others are convinced they saw something too strange to ignore, something completely out of this world. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and I'm here with Melu from Seattle. Hi, Melu. Hi, Molly. This is the last episode in our four-part series on myths. From the depths of time up through today, myths and legends wind their way into culture and into lore. But is there truth? Well, let's explore. Scanning the clues of history for creatures on land and in the sea. Lost worlds hidden under your toes. Hey, over there, is that a UFO? Armed with knowledge and with proof, help us to uncover what is real and what's a spoof. Myths and legends we'll discover. If you want to know more about mythical creatures and legends of lost worlds, please check out the first three episodes of this series. The stories in today's episode are a little different from the myths and legends we've been talking about. We're launching our imaginations outside of Earth's atmosphere. And out here, beyond Earth, things are different. 
Yeah, there's no atmosphere, no gravity, and definitely no Wi-Fi. Right. Humans have only explored a teeny tiny bit of outer space, and most of that was with machines, not with our own eyes and ears. But the vast unknown expanse is perfect fuel for our imaginations. After all, you don't need a rocket to dream. So it makes perfect sense we've come up with so many theories, stories, and myths about what might be out there, like extraterrestrial life or life beyond Earth. Also known as aliens. We don't know exactly what alien life would be like if it exists. Scientists are trying to figure that out, starting here in our own solar system. All these unknowns are what makes stories about aliens unique. We can imagine them as anything. They could be like us, or different from us, nicer than us, or smarter than us, or meaner than us, or slimier than us. The possibilities are as endless as space itself. Brains On listeners have a bunch of questions about aliens, too. Hello, my name is Gavino, and I live in Winter Haven, Florida. This is my cousin, Max. Hi, my name is Max, and I live in Singapore. Our question is... Why do people believe aliens exist? My name is Owen, and I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My question is, what kind of aliens do we think are out there? Hello, my name is Miles, and my question is, would aliens most likely be good or bad? My name is Ophelia, and I live in Los Angeles. My question is, if we met aliens, what would they look like? So, when you imagine an alien mellow, what does it look like? It looks green, and it has pure black eyes. And do they have, like, arms and legs and, like, bodies kind of like ours? Yeah, they have arms, legs, and bodies, and you could sometimes see their ribcage. Ooh. So, when you think about these aliens, do you think they're evil or good or neither? Neither. Some of them could be evil. Some of them could be nice. So they're like humans. They have all different kinds of personalities. Yeah. Well, we asked Emily Zarka about her favorite kind of alien to imagine, too. She's a monster expert, and she joined us to talk about our collective fascination with aliens. Her favorite extraterrestrial beings are the Martians in a book called The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. They're all head with a beak and lots of tentacles as their appendages. War of the Worlds came out in 1898. Lots of people were getting excited about the idea of life on other planets around that time. About 20 years earlier, in the late 1870s, an astronomer named Giovanni Schiaparelli had noticed something on the surface of the planet Mars. He viewed the linear lines on the surface of Mars, and he's the one who wrote those down as canali. Canali can mean channels or canals in Italian. When a different astronomer, Percival Lowell, read about the Canali on Mars, his mind went straight to aliens. Percival Lowell in 1895 wrote a book called Mars, and he speculates about how life could exist there and how he thinks the Canali were actually formed by um, some sort of alien life form. Percival Lowell was wrong. We haven't found any canal-making creatures on Mars. But his ideas got a lot of people thinking about aliens. I'm speaking from the roof of Broadcasting Building, New York City. The bells you hear are ringing to warn the people to evacuate the city as the Martians approach. Estimated in the last two hours, three million people have moved out along the roads to the north. War of the Worlds became a really popular radio play. 
and many other writers imagine worlds beyond Earth after that. Madeline Lengel wrote A Wrinkle in Time, and Orson Scott Card wrote Ender's Game. In the movies, a being called E.T. phoned home. E.T. home phone. And the Star Wars saga sent people to galaxies far, far away. And there are some people who swear they've seen actual alien ships. Not in movies, but right here above Earth. But so far, there's no credible proof. Mello, what do you think we can learn from all these stories about aliens? We can think about aliens and how they might look like or act. Mm-hmm. What do you think these alien stories say about us, like about humans? They show how people can have very big imaginations and how it can go from a little unidentified flying object to a whole new world. Mm, yeah, so they can take a one little tiny thing and make a really big idea out of it. That's really cool. Emily thinks that all of these stories feed into each other. So the more we see it, the more we want to talk about it. And I think that means in some cases, the more we want to believe that thing is real, that we want these things to be true because it gives us hope that something new is out there and it allows our imaginations to fill in the blanks. And now we have a blank for you to fill in, Melu. It's the... Are you ready? Yeah. Here it is. Silima Chemen. Oitinis poteste chairete. Gotwai homa. Zuk gotwai. Ping on gin hong fai lock. Saluter la tuata lume. Bonjour tout le monde. Konnichiwa. Ogenki deska. Hello from the children of planet Earth. So, Mela, what do you hear there? I heard something in French because I'm taking French. It said, hello everyone to the whole world. Mm hmm. So it's probably saying hello to the world in different languages. Very good guess. And why do you think we would have a recording like that of all these different languages saying something like that? Because if you were to think about aliens, if there was one in front of your house, you would at least try to speak to them and say, hello, we bring peace. Well, that is a very, very good guess. We're going to be back with the answer and give you another chance to guess in just a little bit. Oh, what are you doing with those symbols, Mark? It's the season finale of Hoax Hunters. You ready to go hunting, Sandin? Born ready, Mark. One, two, three! We like myths, but we hate getting tricked, yeah! We like myths, but we hate getting tricked. All right. We like myths, but we hate getting tricked. We hate getting tricked. No, we don't like it. All right. A hoax is when somebody tricks people into believing something that isn't true. Today, we're paying a visit to Morristown, New Jersey, where people started seeing strange things at night back in 2009. An 11-year-old named Kristen was the first in her family to spot them. Red lights hovering just above the horizon. Her dad was a pilot, and he said, no way those things are planes. The local police started getting calls from other concerned citizens, and the lights were spotted on four more nights over the next month. Some people swore the lights were floating in formation. It looked like they were communicating with each other. 
Now let's just say what we're all thinking. Were these tiny red lights controlled by even tinier green aliens? And what do they want from us? Do they come in peace? Or do these tiny spaceships spell doom for the entire human race? Whoa. Okay, well, there weren't any tiny spaceships, Sandin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I already knew that, and I still freaked myself out. Yeah, it turns out these mysterious lights were an elaborate prank. You got hoaxed. That's right. Two men came forward to say the whole thing was a hoax. The explanation was simple. They blew up a bunch of balloons with helium and then tied flares to them. Okay, flares? They're like these very bright candles that don't get blown up by the wind. Our two hoaxsters let the balloons and flares float into the sky and waited for people to spot them. But they didn't get off scot-free. They had to pay a fine of $250 and complete 50 hours of community service for wasting police resources and creating a fire hazard. It's like my grandpappy always said, don't do the hoax if you're not prepared to do the time. What a wise old dude. And remember, if you see strange things in the sky, always check for balloons first. When we say UFO, you might automatically think alien spaceship. But UFO is an acronym for Unidentified Flying Object, UFO for short. And lots of UFOs do end up getting identified. Like when a rancher and his son found an unidentified object that had crash-landed near Roswell, New Mexico. That turned out to be a weather balloon that the United States government was using to take measurements. Other UFOs stay unidentified for a while. We might not know what a bright streak in the sky is immediately, but we might figure out later that a rocket got launched far away. Other times, we truly don't know what a flying object is. Those objects stay unidentified. That doesn't necessarily mean they're aliens. It just means we don't have a clear explanation yet. Have you got questions bubbling in your brain? Mystery sounds tickling your ears? Pictures you're itching to draw? Send some of that our way at brainson.org slash contact. We love hearing your questions and mystery sounds. Every time you send us a drawing, Sandin jumps for joy. Yahoo! Yeah, I do. Go to brainson.org slash contact. That's where this question came from. Hi, my name is Ramsey from Oklahoma City. My question is, why does everything seem black around the sun whenever it is so bright? We'll answer that question in our moment of um at the end of the show, and I'll read the most recent group of listeners to be added to the Brain's Honor Roll. Keep listening. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly. And I'm Melu. Are you ready to get back to that mystery sound again? Yes. All right, here it is. Silima Chemen. Oitinis Poteste. Hello from the children of planet Earth. So do you have any new thoughts after hearing it again? Are you going to stick with your original guess? So they're trying to say hi to and peace be with you to the um, aliens. Well, that is a really good guess. 
The sounds that you just heard came from the Voyager Golden Record. The record is meant to be a message for any extraterrestrial civilization over the next, say, few billion years. That's David Peskovitz. He co-produced a 40th anniversary edition of the Voyager Golden Record with Ozma Records. The original Golden Record came out in 1977. Today, people listen to music on their phones or computers, but back then, they mainly listened to music on records, flat, plastic discs that were about 12 inches across. NASA made two copies of this record. They're attached to the Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 space probes, and right now, those two space probes are in interstellar space, the space beyond our solar system, and they will continue traveling through interstellar space for the next several billion years. The Golden Record contains messages, music, and sounds from Earth, so that if aliens ever find it, they can learn something about us and our planet. There is music on there representing many time periods and many regions and many cultures on Earth, from Solomon Island panpipe music to Bach to Chuck Berry and rock and roll to the blues. But in addition to the music, it has greetings from people in 55 languages and also one whale language. Hello from the children of planet Earth. There's, you know, trains and storms and insects and frogs and a mother's kiss and a baby's cry. When I listen to that and close my eyes, I can imagine, you know, the the Lonely Voyager probes flying through deep space with this record on there just sort of waiting to be found. As much as the Voyager record is a gift from humanity to the cosmos, it's really a gift to humanity. I think it's a reminder of what we can achieve when we're at our best. And and it's a hopeful message. It's a message that says, you know, the future is up to all of us. A lot of alien stories are made up, but real scientists are trying to figure out if life exists on other planets or even moons. And it turns out there's a competition show where worlds try to prove they're the best place to search for life. Sounds kind of bonkers, but here, take a listen. Welcome back to Show Me the Life, where worlds bring their best life-harboring skills to a variety of challenges. But so far, no one has ever won because scientists haven't ever found any life beyond Earth. We've got three worlds and three action-packed rounds today. Let's meet our competitors. Mars here. What planet are humans obsessed with writing stories about and exploring? A B. Check out my YouTube channel and just hit a million likes. I'm Europa. Scientists have found 79 moons circling Jupiter, and I'm one of them. I might have way more water than your ocean here on Earth. Can we adjust this microphone? I'm only 314 miles across, a little small for the stand. Okay, great. Much better. I'm Enceladus, a moon that orbits Saturn. Interesting fact. Hmm. I have an incredibly smooth reflective surface. Ask me about my skincare routine. 
A scientist judge will join us in each round. Let's get started with challenge number one, a bake-off. Use the ingredients for life on your world to make a tasty treat. While you get baking, let's meet our expert. All the way from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, let's give her a warm welcome. Hi, my name is Jessica Weber, and I study origins of life at JPL. Jessica, based on what we know from Earth, scientists think a planet or moon needs three things for life to form. Chemicals with element carbon, because carbon is important to the reactions that keep things alive. Water, because chemical reactions work well in water. And lastly, you need a source of energy to kind of jumpstart the whole process. Right you are, Jessica. Some kinds of that energy would be light from the sun, or heat, or energy coming from another planet. Okay, time's up. Worlds, let's see what you've made. Mars, you go first. Okay, I don't know a lot about baking, but I know cookies are delicious. So I made these Chocotastic Rocky Road frozen ginger snaps. These contain lots of cool chemicals and some ice because, brr, it's cold in here. Must be some water vapor in the atmosphere. Okay, then. Europa, what have you got there? I made a salted caramel tart. Scientists think there's a big old salty ocean underneath my icy surface. Perfect for life. And a delicious ingredient in desserts. Mmm. Uh, wow. That's extremely salty. And Enceladus? I made a baked Alaska ice cream volcano. Check it out. See? Kind of like the plume of ice and gas shooting out of my South Pole. It's got water, carbon, and how would you make a plume of these things without energy? Mike, drop! Wow! All three worlds might have all the ingredients for life to come together. But that's not a surefire indication that life is on that world. <clears throat> right, right. Yes, the ingredients are only one step. Ingredients probably have to come together at the right time and in the right ways for life to form and continue. And what kind of life? We can't say. So that brings us to challenge number two, the singer. Sing an ode to the life that might be on you right now. While our contestants warm up, let's meet our next expert judge. Hi, my name is Laura Rodriguez, and I also study the origins of life at JPL. So, Laura, building blocks of life are one thing. Life actually arising is another thing. The analogy I think of is you buy a Lego set to build a city, and you open the box and you spill out all the Legos all over the floor. You have the building blocks for the city, but you don't have the city built yet. So how do you go from those building blocks to organized structures? And in that sense, environment is very important. Well, Worlds, what kind of life would you love to see in your environment? I like small life and I cannot lie. Too much radiation to get by. But there could be life that's itty-bitty too. And the ability to swim in my sea that's blue. My drop! Hey, that's my thing. <clears throat> way down by my vents, way under the sea, could be life that likes to eat hydrogen. It's hot down there like a giant hot tub and who doesn't like to hang out in hot tubs? Mic drop! All right, saving the best for last. Here we go. <clears throat> Lots of UV 
Raisin radiation. Air is made of CO2, so you live underground, digging tunnels like a cool bar in my cubbyum mall. Da 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 what do you think it would be? Small, big, square, round? So I think that the possibility for microbial life is much greater than the possibility of intelligent life. Ah, microbial life. Wait, what do you what do you mean exactly? I mean like singular cells. So one cell, like algae, for instance, or cyanobacteria. Totally knew that. Okay. Now our final challenge relates to actually exploring these worlds for life. So worlds, challenge three is a vehicle challenge. We've brought some old vehicles into the studio for you. Mountain bikes, skates, scooters. Your challenge is to build a quick prototype of the kind of vehicles that could one day explore you. Here's our final expert to chat while you all work. My name's William Reed, and I'm a robotics technologist. And what we do is we investigate different ways to get around the surface of other planets. So, Will, it's hard for humans to head out to the far depths of space. But robots have some potential, don't they? They do. They can be designed to operate very well in harsh environments. So humans don't do so well when it gets really cold or really hot or there's lots of radiation, or there's no pressure, like in the vacuum of space. Well, let's hope our worldly contestants are up for the challenge. How are they doing? Mars? This one is easy. Robots are already actively exploring my surface, and that's how you know lots of things about me. Also, I'm good at pretty much everything, so I'm modeling my design after the Mars Curiosity rover. We're talking six wheels, Big and wide and sturdy for rolling over sharp pointy rocks on my face. Europa? Well, given my icy surface that's also sharp and craggy, I thought I would add ice skating capabilities to one of those lawnmowers you can ride on. I'm still working out some kinks. And finally, Enceladus. Me? I love those Vespa scooters. My dream is like a scooter that could ride through the super fine sand scientists think they might find on my surface. So I've been testing with powdered sugar and... (coughs) I'm getting a lot of sugar dust up my nose, but, um, yum! And mic drop. Well, I'm glad it's engineers building these vehicles rather than you three. All right, I'm collecting the votes from my judges here, and it looks like the winner is... No one! You three may have life, but we haven't found it yet. Keep your eye on me. And me! And mic drop. Well, Worlds, thank you so much for playing. Join us next time when Saturn's other moon, Titan, joins us for the showdown. Humans have wondered about life on other planets a lot. But if you see something strange in the sky, it's not necessarily an alien spaceship. We don't know of any life beyond Earth. But lots of people think there might be some form of life out there. 
So just in case, people created the golden record to greet any aliens that might exist and also have record players. Scientists are also sending new machines to faraway places to search for signs of life. But if there is life out there, we don't know what it would be like. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is made by Menica Wilhelm, Sandin Todden, Mark Sanchez, and Molly Bloom. Elissa Dudley and Ruby Guthrie are the undeniably fantastic objects of this series. We had production support from Christina Lopez and Rosie DuPont, engineering help from Veronica Rodriguez, Eric Romani, and Frank Roberto. Special thanks to Andy Orozco, Matt Tinoco, Micah Kielbon, Chris Greenspawn, Louis Rinkovich, Taka Zen, and Anna Weggel. Just a quick show note, we will not be posting new episodes in January, but we'll be back in February. Before we go, it's time for our moment of um. Why does everything seem black around the sun whenever it is so bright? This is the same way that if you turned on a lamp and you were really, really close to it, then it would feel really bright. But the further you walk away from it, then it becomes dimmer and dimmer. But it's not because the light bulb is dimming, it's because you're just further away from it. I'm Brittany Kamai. I'm a scientist who studies the universe, and I work on building detectors to be able to see out in the universe. There's so many stars, so many different distances away from us. The closest star to us is our very own sun. The stars that exist in the universe are always shining, but we can't see them during the day with our eyes because the light from the sun is so bright. And so when we rotate away, then we're able to kind of like turn off that bright lamp and like look out into the darkness. And that's how we're able to start seeing like the dim light coming from all these other stars that exist in the universe. Um, um, um. I am simply beaming to read this list of names. It's the Brains Honor Roll. These are the amazing listeners who send us their questions, ideas, mystery sounds, drawings, and high fives. Cameron from Monterey, California. Layla and Felix from Adelaide, Australia. Adeline from Apple Valley, Minnesota. Grace and Violet from Burbank, California. Selena from Sydney, Australia. Olivia from Voorhees, Virginia. Stephen from Gray's Lake. Eloise from New York City. Lydia from Arkadelphia, Arkansas. Elena from Lawrenceville, New Jersey. Henry from Pittsburgh. Chloe from Melbourne. In Australia, Zach from Blaine, Minnesota, Tristan and Stan from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, Talia and Alden from Baltimore, Aaron from Erie, Colorado, Ben from Wellington, New Zealand, Cece and Eliza from Spring, Texas, Alex from Madison, Wisconsin, Evan and Tobin from McLean, Texas, Ruth from Sandwich, Illinois, Piper and Leif from Skyo, Oregon, Cameron from Richardson, Texas, Ella from Dallas, Nishka from Milford, Connecticut, May from Portland, Oregon, Talon from Casper, Wyoming, Morris and Miro from Shelley Beach, Australia, Milo from Marietta, Georgia, Augustus and Violet from Pittsburgh, Diego from Pittsburgh, Karis from Victoria, British Columbia, Cruz and Luca from Lehigh, Utah, Juniper from Gwynn, Michigan, Annalise from Dallas, Kanan from Guilford, Indiana, Rourke from Vienna, Virginia, Izzy, Keegan and Xander from North Wales, Pennsylvania, Vivian and Julian from Ontario, Anthony from Green Bay, Wisconsin, Sammy from Sydney, Australia, Bloom from Sydney, Australia, Felix from Toronto, Maggie and Lily from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Sophia and Christina from Prague, Matthew and Amy from Sunnyvale, California, Hudson from Brentwood, Tennessee, Seraph and Judah from McLeansville, North Carolina, Eva from Houston, Elliot from Thousand Oaks, California, Scarlett from Nebraska, 
Benjamin and Ella from Vancouver, Charlotte from St. Paul, Minnesota, Catherine and Constance from Charlottesville, Virginia, Maggie, Sam, Oliver, and Ellie from Claremont, California, and Bastian from Gastonia, North Carolina. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thank you for listening.